You're listening to Ottawa's Baseball Show. It's Around the Diamond with Diamond Dante and Mike Nellis on CKDJ 107.9, home of the Ottawa Champions. And Martin on the ground. Andrews makes a play, goes to second out there, throw to first. Oh, and what a play. But here comes the runner, Donaldson. He's safe. He's safe. The ball game is over. The Blue Jays are moving on. their interference at second that's what they'll want to know no here it comes folks no interference blue jays win the toronto blue jays have eliminated the rangers and the first team to move on back to back seasons in the american league championship series the winning runs at first and Dustin Pedroia. And the guy trying to save Boston's season is Travis Shaw. The payoff pitch. Swung on a high fly ball. Shallow right. Chisinau is there. He makes the catch. Ball game. And the sweep is complete. And this resilient bunch of Cleveland Indians will play for the American League pennant. And a date with Toronto on Friday night. And Contreras hits a ground ball up the middle. He ties the game. And Baez hits a ground ball up the middle. That's a base hit. He will score. Cubs lead 6-5. And the Cubs dugout jumping up and down in absolute delight. And the Chicago Cubs are moving on to the National League Championship Series. The Los Angeles Dodgers are headed to Chicago. Welcome to the October 15th edition of Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 1079. I'm your host, Diamond Dante, and on Twitter at Diamond underscore Dante. Past episodes are available on my SoundCloud, Diamond Dante Audio. Coming up on the show, Dodgers writer and founder of SB Nation's True Blue LA, Eric Stefan, will join me in my next segment to talk about the NL side of the playoffs, but also to talk about Clayton Kershaw's dominant dominant performance uh, against the uh, Washington Nationals. Following that, Ottawa champions pitching coach and Arizona Fall League instructor Billy Horn will join us. Uh, He's going to come on to talk a little bit about what's going on in the Arizona Fall League. A couple leagues that you can join uh, can join as there's going to be lots of MLB scouts and indie managers in attendance. It's also uh, definitely going to be a lot of fun to catch up with Billy. Following that, in my third segment, we will bring on Drew Ferris Service from his very famous Birds All Day Blue Jays podcast uh, and his very popular Twitter account, Drew Grove. Uh, Drew covers the Jays. He knows his baseball and will recap the Blue Jays playoff run and the upcoming series versus the Cleveland Indians. going to be a good one. Mark Shapiro against his old team. Isn't that funny? Finally, in my last segment, we will be joined on Around the Diamond with a new feature, Roundtable Baseball, with myself, Diamond Dante, Ottawa Champions broadcaster Mike Nellis, and Sussex County Mon- Miners broadcaster Brett Lufner. It's going to be a more opinion opinionative-based uh, segment recapping the MLB playoffs with uh, two very strong opin- opinionative guys. I'll tell you, Brett and Mike have a very hard head to get through, and I know that firsthand. That's still to come on the show, but after a... Very quick commercial break. We'll be back on Around the Diamond talking Dodgers and NLCS with Eric Stefan here on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 1079.
Hi, this is Daniel Cordero from the Ottawa Champions Baseball Club, and you are listening to the Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Welcome back to the only baseball show in Ottawa. It's Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9. Ottawa's new music. I'm your host, Diamond Dante. Joining with me for this segment is Eric Stefan from True Blue LA, a blog which is in affiliation of SB Nation, uh, Sports Blog Nation. Eric is a long time, no talk. We haven't spoke since about April. How are you doing today? Oh, very good. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, so last night, the Dodgers moved on to the NLCS and are now just four wins away from advancing to the World Series. A tough opponent in the Cubs. Uh, going into last night's game, it was just a do-or-die situation versus the Washington Nationals. Rich Hill pitched just over two innings, but it came down to Dave Roberts' bullpen using six pitchers to finish things off. Absolutely. I mean, the, the big... Um Obviously, Clayton Kershaw got the last two outs, so that was that was huge. Um, but the big uh, thing was, I think Kenley Jansen. He he got seven outs. He came in in the seventh inning. Um, it was the earliest he's come in since 2013. Uh, he threw 51 pitches, uh, pretty much laid it all out on the line, and uh, that was, I think, the key to the game. He he, um, he scuffled a little in the ninth, but he was getting tired. Um, he he might have been able to possibly get to finish it out, but I think they, that's what they were holding Kurt out for, so good thing they had everyone on deck, I guess. Yeah, and Kenley Jansen, it was, you know, the broadcasts were even saying, I think it was Her- Harold Reynolds had said, this is something you don't see every day. You don't see Kenley Jansen come in in the seventh inning, in the, the eighth inning. He's a guy that's going to give you, you know, the ninth, and that's it, that's over. Yeah, they, they had to figure out a way uh, yesterday, you know, to uh, get, to map out these, like, 27 outs for the for the team, and uh, the, the game was sort of on the line there in the seventh. So um, Dave Roberts sort of seized the opportunity, used his best reliever in a very important spot, and then figured out the rest of the game later, and uh, it, it worked out. And it did. Clayton Kershaw came in to get the last two outs. I mean, what was your reaction when, when Kershaw had came in, when you actually saw him put on the spikes, go to the bullpen on just you know a day or two rest? And you know he's he's never been a closer. You know, it's crazy. I mean, because um, he had just pitched three on three days rest uh, uh, two days before, um, and he threw I think 110 pitches. And uh, Dave Roberts went out of his way before the game, game five to say he uh, Kershaw was absolutely not available in, in game five. And then uh, as the game sort of wore on, when Kenley went in in the seventh, I don't think they were planning to have. Jansen in the seventh, but Grant Dayton, um, who's been excellent, uh, he gave up a two-run home run and a single, so they had to pull him. They kind of threw a wrench into things, and uh, Kershaw kind of went to Roberts and said, look, I, I think I can give you a couple outs, and so they sort of had that in the back of their mind, and uh, the tension, as the tension was building the game, it was more like, hey, where's Kershaw right now? Is he warming up uh, secretly or whatever? Then, he, then when he went out to the bullpen, it was it, it was full, ner- full nervous time at that point. And then that's Eric Stefan from Trubu LA joining us here on Around the Diamond. Um, so, Dave Roberts, you know he's a he's still a young guy. I believe he's in his forties right now. Uh, I believe he's forty two or forty three years old, if if I'm correct about that. And uh, you know, a younger manager, but has done an extremely well job with this Dodgers team. Did you think at the start of the season when they signed Dave to be the manager that he would bring them this far? Well, yeah, it, it's it's tough to say. I mean, certainly they had the. You know the talent they had won the previous three uh, divisions. Uh, I, you know, obviously when they when they hired, they brought him in. 
I, you know, it was a definitely more of a long-term move, but also they, with the thought of also winning this year. So I can't say I'm surprised that they are winning. Uh, you know, got this far with him. Um, what I am sort of surprised that maybe I wasn't prepared for this is that you know Don Mattingly was a, a players manager, and, and so is Dave Roberts. But I think Dave Roberts sort of uh, uh, is like one of the most upbeat people I've ever met. Mm-hmm. Um, his his uh, positivity and like just sort of energy is off the charts, and I, I was not expecting that uh, you know to the level that he's sort of brought it to the team and his leadership uh, abilities have been uh, have been excellent, and uh, I think that's going to serve him well you know going forward. Now, of course, the Dodgers, in order to get this point, had to pass the Giants uh, in the NL West, and. You know, two big moves that they made at the trade deadline was Josh Reddick and uh, and Rich Hill. I mean, was there any other moves that the Dodgers had made that kind of blustered them to get past this? And, and probably what was their biggest acquisition at the deadline? Uh, I think, yeah, the, the biggest one was definitely that. It was, um, you know, Rich Hill was the sort of the big prize there. Um, uh, Reddick has been what was a kind of a disappointment. He was he was non-existent for most of August, Uh yeah, and then to the point where they, you know, they had demoted Yasiel Puig to the minors, and uh, I think there was some question about whether Puig was going to come back in September. But Reddick was hitting so poorly that they, they they needed some outfield production, so they did bring Puig back in September, and he's produced. Um, but then also Reddick got hot in September, so uh, the overall production was kind of down over, uh, for Reddick. But you know, it's only a two-month sample size. Uh, he hasn't done a ton yet in the playoffs, but uh, the key to that was Hill. And uh, basically over the last year or so, uh, when he's been healthy, he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball, basically like a two ERA. Um, so they, I think going forward in the NLCS, they're going to need him uh, to make one or two starts and then come through big against the Cubs. Eric Stefan from True Blue LA here with us on Around the Diamond. Now, I wanted to ask you something. You know, just it was a few days ago that the Giants had a huge meltdown against the Cubs. They were down by, or they were up by three, uh, about to win game four. Of course, I am a Giants fan and was not very happy uh, about that. And I was probably uh, the most upset I've ever been at baseball. Uh, But moving on from that, the Giants had a huge meltdown. Uh, against the Cubs, Did, were you kind of upset about how that even uh, the even year streak is over? I was. Um, I, I'll tell you this. I was sort of. Um, you know, I know the Cubs were up two nothing in that series, and then when the Giants um, won Game Three, and then they were up in Game Four. I, I was. I was already mentally prepared for a Dodgers Giants showdown in the NLCS. I mean, it seems like they've been sort of gravitating toward each other the last few years it just hasn't worked out but uh i i, I was mentally prepared for that series to happen i think it, it, it sort of needs to happen to sort of fuel the rivalry a little more um but uh yeah i i, I was sort of uh thinking that even as good as the cubs were that the giants were going to find a way to to finish them off and uh and then ultimately play the dodgers in the nlcs because uh, i think i think the, the baseball sort of needs that series to happen yeah that would have been uh definitely a fun one now that i think about it i had the nationals taking down the dodgers but i was wrong once again i also picked the giants to beat the cubs so now that the cubs and dodgers are going to go at it for the uh nlcs uh, how does the matchup look like? How do the Dodgers match up against the best team in baseball? Yeah, it's it's a rough matchup, as you, you might imagine. That I mean, the Cubs were 
um, excellent uh, throughout the season. It was the 103 wins. Um, it, I think you know the Dodgers do reasonably well in terms of you know matching up. They they still have Kershaw. Uh, if Rich Hill is, um, you know, good to go for game three, I think they're in decent shape. But, uh, uh, Kenta Maeda, they really need, uh, you know, big starts out of him. He's, his last three or four starts have not been good and he hasn't gone deep. So he's, he's probably going to start game one. They haven't officially announced that yet, but, uh, uh, he has to come through. He's going to go up against John Lester in game one. It's not going to be a easy matchup, but I think for the, for the Dodgers, um, you know, Justin Turner was very good in the series. Uh, Jock Peterson had, had, they, they had a lot of key hits from some guys. Corey Seager had three big hits, but it was otherwise like 0 for 20 outside of the first inning, um, in, in the NLDS. Uh, I think their offense is going to have to start, uh, coming through. Um, but like you said, but it's a total team effort. They'll, they'll find ways to, if they're going to win, they'll, they'll, you know, probably find ways from the bullpen, find ways, uh, you know, some, Spot starter or something, Ross Stripling might give him a nice four inning uh, relief appearance one game. Who knows? But I do think their offense is going to have to come through if they're going to be able to uh, beat the Cubs. Hey, well, there you have it. Eric Stefan from True Blue LA. He said it right there. Pitching uh, is going to be key against the Chicago Cubs. Looking forward to that series. Eric, thanks for taking the time. And we look forward to uh, seeing the Dodgers maybe in the World Series, maybe a Jays and Dodgers uh, matchup there. Uh, I would appreciate that. That would be a fun that'd be a fun series. Thanks for having me. That was Eric Stefan from True Blue LA. And what a talk there. Dodgers and Toronto Blue Jays maybe in the World Series. A little prediction there. Of course, I do hope the Dodgers do take down the Cubs because I am a uh, pretty uh, good... Or I'm, I, I like the Giants and uh, one of my favorite teams there other than the Blue Jays. The Giants are my NL team. Love Madison Bumgarner. I love... Uh, Buster Posey and Hunter Penn, so we hope for the best. But coming up next, we are going to be joined with Billy Horn, who is the South Florida Winter League instructor. He's going to come out to talk about the Arizona Fall League and some other leagues that are going around, MLB scouts to inform maybe some players and some fans about uh, what is going on there. That's all coming up next on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Hi, this is Billy Horn from the Ottawa Champions Baseball Club, and you're listening to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Welcome back to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. I'm your host, Diamond Dante. Before, we were talking with Eric Stefan from True Blue LA. Now we are joined over the phone with South Florida Winter League's very own Billy Horn. Billy, how are you doing on this fine day? Long time no talk. Yeah, Dante, it's been a long time. I'm doing well. It's uh, 80... It's 86 and sunny, so I'm not complaining. Not too bad. It's pretty cold here. We're uh, we're going into the minuses right now. No, that's I feel for you guys. Yeah, you will. You better feel. You're gonna feel for your boy Daniel Cordero. But uh, we're gonna get to that later, of course, Billy. Uh, you're running a few leagues this year, or you're participating uh, in a few. You got the South Florida Winter League, which begins on October 26th until October 20th in Vero Beach, Florida. Um, what can you tell us about that league? What's going to be going on there? How do you how do you join and and uh, what are the some of the players that are going to be participating? Uh, well, this is a league that I've been doing for the last couple of years. The guy who runs it, uh, as a matter of fact, has been uh, traveling all over the country and trying to recruit and get good players. And it's a month long camp. It kind of rivals 
the Arizona Winter League, which I work also in the California Winter League, but it's here on the East Coast, which is great because, you know, a lot of guys can't travel cross country because of work or whatever the case may be. But uh, we get top-notch talent out of there. There's going to be some guys that are signed out of there. There's going to be coaches that are represented from the Atlantic League, the Can-Am League, the American Association, the Frontier League, as well as the lower-tiered independent leagues where, you know, just from last year alone, having those relationships allowed us to get certain players that really contributed uh, to us win a championship like like Miles Moeller and Stephen Borkowski and Danny Grauer the year before. So going to these leagues, are, are, are it's kind of a big deal, and it's, it's a lot of fun, too. A lot of fun. So basically what you're saying is that you not only go to these leagues to watch players, but also to find uh, players for your own team. But at the end of the day, you might spend six, seven weeks at this camp and only find maybe two guys. Yeah, it all depends. I mean, last year I was in the Puerto Rico Instructional League in January, and I found a right-handed pitcher who was 94, 96 miles an hour, and I wound up, um, you know, our roster was full, so I wound up sending him to um, a team in the in the Frontier League. And he had gotten hurt before the season, but had I not been in there, I wouldn't have been able to make, you know, certain contacts and meet certain coaches and, and, and again, surround yourself with, you know, with players all over the, all over the world. That's uh, Billy Horn from the Ottawa Champions joining us here on Around the Diamond. Also, the instructor of the South Florida Winter League, uh, running a couple other leagues, Billy, uh, on the tap here. There's the uh, Puerto Rican Instructional Baseball League. Uh, you mentioned you're only going to go down there for about two weeks uh, to see if there's some talent down there, but then you're also going to head over to the Arizona Winter League. Out of those two uh, leagues right there, I mean, how much you had mentioned that you found this Reyes kid last year. I mean, how much talent is really there? Well, there's a lot of talent. You know, there's, um, I think in the Arizona Winter League, there are about 20 guys that had gotten jobs. And I think four or five guys had actually uh, spent the entire season uh, with the teams, uh, the ball clubs that they had signed with. So, you know, um, it's kind of, you know, you hear about some of these camps and showcases and, you know, these guys are just getting signed and released, but not the ones that I've been participating in. There are real players. It's, it's legit as, as can be, and there are managers and coaches from all the top and lower-level independent leagues. And, you know, I love going out there because, again, like I said, it's, it's great to find players and, you know, signing a ton of players throughout the season to help us in Ottawa, but also meeting all these coaches and managers. Um, you know, that's how we got Adron last year. You know, oh. I, was, I got a phone call from a manager that I know from doing these showcases, and Adron helped us win a championship last year. So it's it's very invaluable to participate in, in, in an independent baseball. Having those connections is, is kind of the name of the game. And it doesn't seem that bad, Billy. I'm looking at the, the timetable of, of things that are going to be going on, the daily schedule. You guys got breakfast from 6 to 7.45. You report at the field at 8. You got morning training activities from 6 to 11. Lunch uh, from 11 to 12.45. And then uh, report back to the field for some games at, from 12 to uh, 4, 4 p.m. So it's just uh, pretty much having some fun, Billy. Yeah, you're right. It is. And that's what the name of the game of baseball. And, you know, like we talked about last year with all of our play, let's just have fun. You know, it's, um, you know, we're not curing cancer and, you know, we're, we're not saving people from, from trial or anything like that. It's baseball and it's fun. And I really enjoy it. I really enjoy all the, all the guys that I get to work with players that I get to help and develop and, you know, see guys get signed with organizations and move on. It's, it's just a lot of fun. So, of course, Billy, there's a, you know, a couple scouts are going to be there. We, you had mentioned to me off mic that there's going to be some major league scouts. we got managers from the Atlantic League, Can-Am League, American Association, Frontier League. The list goes on and on. I mean, 
when they come there, what do they usually look for, and what do they talk to you about in order to come in? And do you do you go out and recommend uh, certain players to these scouts and managers? Yeah, when they come in, we kind of just sit down and and uh, you know grab a bite to eat and kind of go over the roster of the players and. We basically put them on a number scale, you know, on a tier scale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for instance, a one would be, you know, a, an Atlantic League guy. A two would be Can-Am, American Association, maybe Frontier based on their age, and then so forth and so on going down through, you know, the Pecos League or the United Stores League or the Empire League. And, you know, based on what the needs are for certain organizations in independent ball or in the big leagues, um, that also depends on, on their age, you know, if they're a pitcher, if, you know, their velocity and or basically what they're looking for. So it's kind of cool because the scouts now, you know, they go to one place and all of a sudden, damn, there's a hundred new players that you're looking at. You may not have ever seen before because, you know, these guys are always looking for top prospects. Hey, you can always find a diamond in a rough somewhere. And, you know, I find myself on, <laughs> you know, finding good hard nosed talent in, you know, places that you'd, you'd never really expect. Uh, apparently this place had also saw big leaguers, Daniel Nava and David Peralta. So you can't go wrong there, Absolutely. Billy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, Arizona's great. Um, it's beautiful weather, and the connection's out there. One of the gentlemen that runs the, the Arizona Winter League, Jose Melendez, he's the general manager for the uh, Paracos team, the, the Pueblas, in, mm-hmm. in the Mexican League, which is AAA. They just won their championship. And, you know, you, you meet people, and that's how coaches get jobs and players get jobs to go to Mexico or, or whatever. So it's, it's a really great spot, and any, any guys that are looking to play and get noticed you know, the Arizona Winter League is, is definitely top-notch, and, and it's a great, well-run organization. Now, just before recording this show, there was a, uh, a big uh, announcement online. Uh, Bay- Baseball America released their top prospects list currently in independent ball right now. Uh, one of the Ottawa Champions pitchers is Daniel Cordero that is on that list. But one guy, just from going through it, this is very new. This is, you know, we're looking at this, you know, 10 minutes before that we started this interview, Billy. Uh, Austin Crisman not on the list after being named Can-Am League Pitcher of the Year. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, I mean, it's it's Baseball America, and some scout may not have seen Austin on a day that he had pitched or whatever the case may be, and these things may be a little skewed here and there. Uh, But Austin's definitely a guy who, you know, Hal and myself have been working tirelessly talking to organizations to get him a job and, you know, get him back with an organization. But, uh, you know, that's not to take anything away from Daniel Cordero or a couple other guys on our ball club that I feel um, should have made this list. You know, when you look at younger guys like Stephen Borkowski, um, you look at a Miles Moeller, a lefty, you know, he had some very big outings for us. Um, you know, he threw the ball really well, got some really good outs for us. Um, if you look a little bit older, I mean, you look at a Josh Blanco, I know, you know, uh, Blanco's a little bit older, but I mean, he's still 94, 95, 96. So, you know, I think right now the Ottawa champions were really loaded with talent, and I'm really hoping that you know we're able to unload some of these guys to organizations, and then we just pick up where we left off last year, and you know just just reload with with uh, just as good talent or hopefully better. South Florida Winter League instructor and champions pitching coach Billy Horn here with us on Around the Diamond. Uh, you mentioned Austin Crisman not being on the list. Uh, a couple of guys from the Can-Am League that are are you know Jesse Beal, Chris Jacobs, uh, Jordan Mills from uh, the uh, Quebec Capitals. Uh, Daniel Cordero from the Ottawa Champions. The list goes on and on from the Can-Am League. Billy, just you've only been here two years in the Can-Am League. Of course, you you probably studied the league before. You probably had seen it uh, before. How much has this league grown since you've not only been a part of the Ottawa Champions, but been a part of uh, making trades with the league and, and being a part of it? You know, it's funny you say that because I've 
I've seen games in, in every league. And, you know, you remember 10, 15 years ago when the Atlantic League was the powerhouse, mm-hmm. and it's the more experienced league. But I tell you, the Can-Am League can, can pretty much rival just about any league that's out there with the American Association. The Frontier League is a very good league. The only knock on the Frontier League is that um, the age limit is 27. So you're not going to get a lot of Adron Chambers type guys, guys with big league time uh, and more experience. But these four leagues are top notch. I mean, any night you go to any one of our ball games, you're looking at a double A ball game. Um, you may be even looking at a triple A ball game, depending on who's pitching. You know, if you get a guy like Wilmer Font or an Andrew Werner or uh, uh, you know a Jesse Beal coming out of the bullpen, I mean, you're seeing double A, triple A, big league talent on a daily, uh, on a nightly basis in the Can-Am League, and, um, you know, we kind of joked about it during the season. We wished that they took the four champions from each league and had a little tournament. Uh, that would be really cool, one big independent baseball championship. I think that would be fantastic. But, um, yeah. you know, time and, and winter leagues and all that, you know, don't really, uh, you know, assist with that very much. But I think that'd be cool to see, you know, the top, um, you know, Atlantic League team go against the top Can-Am League team or an all-star team from, you know, the, the, the American Association play the Atlantic League. I think it'd be great. You know, you get great baseball anywhere you go. Well, of course, you guys did do interleague play last year, playing against the Winnipeg Gold Eyes uh, in the uh, Wichita Wingnuts, I believe. Um, but also, be- we'll get some more updates uh, during the show. I mean, ju- sorry, uh, going down the road about the Arizona Winter League, who Billy is looking at and maybe uh, some possible guests there. But before we go, Billy, there's one guy on this list, listed number two, Ken Amley guy, Art Charles 25 years old, left-handed bat, six foot six, 260 pound, first baseman. I mean, I can name all of the attributes that he has just from watching him play. But Billy, you you had a chance to not only uh, watch him from your view in the Champions dugout, but you had a chance uh, to coach against him, which must have been uh, tough for you because he was so good this year. But has been probably the top first base prospect in the Can Am League since Balbino Fumior. Yeah, and, and I really hope that Art gets an opportunity to get picked up. You know, the knock against Art was that he had strike, you know, he strikes out a lot. Yeah. Uh, but his strikeout numbers were, were down this year. Uh, they were down considerably for a pass hitter, you know, and we know everything that he can do offensively. And, you know, he got the best of us a couple of times and we got the best of him. But he's a great kid. I mean, he is everything that you want your league to exemplify. Um, I mean, he can hit for power, he can hit for average. He's got very good feet around the bag. Um, and the best thing about Art Charles is he's so humble. He's such a great human being, a good kid. I just, you know, you just hope that a guy like that gets an opportunity to get picked up by an organization. Hey, well, there you go. 30, I believe, no, 29 home runs, 106 RBIs, a 340 batting average from Mr. Art Charles, ranked number two in, uh, independent baseball prospects. That was, uh, Billy Horn. Hey, Billy, thanks for taking the time today and we'll touch base soon. You got it, my man. I'll talk to you soon. That was Champions pitching coach and South Florida Winter League instructor Billy Horn joining us here on Around the Diamond. And what a talk there. Uh, Some prospects definitely to watch out for. We'll keep you updated uh, in shows down the line. And we'll have uh, not only voices from Billy Horn, maybe Hal Lanier and some other personnel at the Arizona Fall League. There's MLB scouts there. It's going to be definitely a fun winter here uh, on Around the Diamond. But coming up next, we will be joined with Drew Fair Service from his famous Blue Jays podcast, called Birds All Day, uh, talking about the uh, AL matchup that is going to be underway, starting with the Blue Jays and Cleveland Indians. That's coming up next on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9.
Hi, this is second baseman Albert Cartwright from the Ottawa Champion Baseball Club. You're listening to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Welcome back to Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9, Ottawa's new music. I'm your host, Diamond Dante. Before, we were talking with Billy Horn of the Arizona Fall League. Now, we are joined over the phone with Drew Fairservice from the Birds All Day Blue Jays podcast. Drew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, welcome. Actually, yeah, welcome back. Should have said that. But, uh, so the Blue Jays advanced to the uh, second round of the playoffs. The last time we talked, uh, was, playoffs were just uh, getting underway here. Uh, of course, Big performances, not only from Edwin Encarnacion in the playoffs, but Jose Bautista, Russell Martin, Josh Donaldson. It seems like the the team really came together uh, in sweeping this Texas Rangers squad. Yeah, it was, it was ideal. It was uh, the kind of offense that we saw from the Blue Jays last year when uh, you know you, you couldn't beat them, where they didn't have uh, any holes in the lineup, which is kind of what plagued them through a lot of the early part of the season. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, it's probably scary for all the teams that are left in the uh, in the playoffs. Now, of course, Texas had a really good chance of of, uh, of winning the uh, game. It was game three, actually, and it was an error that kind of threw them down the drain. It was a play to Elvis Andrus that went to Odor, who uh, threw the ball in the dirt to El- uh, to Mitch Moreland, who eventually threw the ball home. Donaldson was safe. Um, I guess a little karma going there, of course, going back to uh, what Odor did to Bautista when he had actually punched him in the face. I believe there was there was some sort of uh, sign that was put up. I'm trying to think about what it was. It was uh, rather get punched in uh, May May than get knocked out in uh, in October. I think that's what it was. That's exactly what it was. And yeah, it, it was a little bit of uh, poetic justice that it was Odor who uh, he probably just should have uh, taken a bit of a bite out of the ball, as they say and not tried to force that double play. Uh, but instead, he threw wildly, and Moreland didn't come up with it cleanly, and Josh Donaldson really heads up and aggressively he was able to uh, dash home with a winning run. So going back to not only the wildcard game, but to uh, this uh, uh, Texas series where they eventually sweep uh, the Rangers and and do what they, did, what they couldn't do last year. They beat the Rangers, but they couldn't sweep them. Um, what's been the difference from the Jays' From the last time we talked, when they're coming into the wildcard game, and uh, for the Jays now, because it seems like they've the bats have really picked up, the the pitching has been solid, and every and the team's just flying on all cylinders at this point. Yeah, no, it's been it's been exactly that. They've uh, you know they really took advantage of, of the Rangers pitching. Uh, it was interesting to see them go after guys like Hugh Darvish and uh, and Cole Hamels so aggressively, and and just hit a long ball. I think when they hit four home runs off of Darvish, which was um, one of the most <clears throat> he's ever allowed, and uh, just a, kind of an ideal start to the series for the Jays when they were able to get to those two uh, very strong pitchers for the Rangers. Now... And, uh, and get the offense going in the process. Yeah, so that's uh, Drew Fair service from the uh, Birds All Day Blue Jays podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Drew Grof. Uh So, Drew, also, I wanted to mention this. I mean, there's a couple of guys in the bullpen who have been, you know, pretty key for the Jays. You know, Jason Grilly has been one of has been one of them. Uh, they also have Joe Biagini, uh, of course, Roberto Osuna. Osuna uh, before Liriano got injured, he had played big in that wild card game. So I guess uh, going into this Cleveland series, uh, a team that can definitely swing the bat with some, you know, they have some good young players, they have some good energy guys on that lineup. Um, that bullpen's going to have to be key for this Jays team going forward. Yeah, of course. I mean, the Blue Jays bullpen, uh, especially Roberto Osuna, they got a lot of work yeah. um, over the last few weeks of the season and then even through that Rangers series where 
um, without a guy uh, like uh, like Joaquin Benoit to go to the, the the Jays had to ask a lot of Roberto Osuna. So the rest has been good. The rest between the, the last series and the start of this one has been great for the team. And uh, it's uh, you know it's kind of what happens in, in the playoffs. The bench gets shorter as they say in hockey, where you're not going to as many players. You have to really rely on your best guys a lot. So a little bit of rest will help them to uh, get you know Grilly and Zul and and uh, Francisco Liriano provided that he's uh, you know back to 100. percent They'll be uh, really important. To players for the Jays in this series against Cleveland. Now, before we tee up this series, Drew, I want to ask you about the the last series. Two AL teams uh, ended up sweeping another uh, to move on to the ALCS. That was the Indians and the Jays. The Indians swept the Boston Red Sox. David Ortiz's career is now over. I mean, now that we look at the last series, how do the Indians match up against the Jays pitching, defense, and hitting? Well, the Jays uh, and Cleveland are pretty similar. Uh, they both have strong defense and really strong starting pitching. Uh, I think one area that the Cleveland has a clear edge is with their bullpen, with having guys like <clears throat> Andrew Miller, who's one of the best uh, relievers in baseball back there, uh, and uh, and Cody Allen uh, uh, as well. They've, they've got some some nice arms they can rely on. Where the Jays, uh, you know, the Jays have some more star power, I think, than than Cleveland. But I mean, you, look, you don't have to look any further than a guy like Francisco Lindor, the shortstop for Cleveland, who is uh, one of the most exciting young players in the game. So. I feel like some of the starting pitching for Cleveland could potentially give the Jays some trouble. Obviously, Corey Kluber is a former Cy Young Award winner and one of the best pitchers in the American League. But as the Jays showed against Texas, they can handle uh, that kind of talent um, when those guys aren't quite on on a given day. But it's a, I think it's more of the guys like um, uh, like Josh Tallman that you want to be that the Jays need to be wary of, not exactly yet household name and not a guy who has eye-popping stuff. He doesn't even, he barely throws it nine miles an hour, but if he can really uh, showcase his good command working at the bottom of the zone, it could be trouble for the, for the Jays batter. So they have to, um, you know, just kind of take it one, take what he gives them and then let them self be those, those great hitters. Yeah, the, the, the Indians, uh, number four and five starters during the regular season are going to be starting game two and three after Corey Kluber. Um, as far as you're concerned, Drew, I mean, how did the Jays, need to attack these two uh, underrated pitchers in the game? Uh, they just have to, you know, I think the Jays aggressive. The Jays have uh, an ability to, to grind out great at-bats, and uh, I think it's some way to kind of work against them at times this year um, because they uh, take, were taking a lot of third-pitch strikes, you know, like strikeout pitches uh, that were close to the zone. But when they're at their best is when they're really able to be aggressive and hop on and, and really uh, make the pitcher's mistakes really make them pay for those mistakes. So I think a guy like Tomlin or Bauer, again, a guy who gave up a bunch of home runs uh, in, I think, in game one against the Red Sox, uh, you know, that's, that really works towards the Jays' advantage where, you know, obviously a pitcher like Kluber is really, really tough and you just have to make sure that you don't miss the mistakes that he makes because any pitcher is going to make mistakes so the Jays have to make sure that they're able to exploit those. Drew Fair Service from the Birds All Day Blue Jays podcast here with us on Around the Diamond. Now, uh, from just what you had seen between the Red Sox and Indian se- uh, series, were you surprised that the Red Sox went went down so easily? Of course. I mean, I think the Red Sox are the most talented team in the American League. They're a really scary team to play against. But anything can happen in a three-game series. I mean, it's just, that's, that's essentially all that happened. They finished the season on a three-game losing streak, and now it's over. So... But I mean, I think it's, it's, it would be foolish to look past Cleveland, too, again, who had a potentially better record than than, than Boston and uh, you know, obviously earned their way here 
uh, very legitimately. They're, they're a very good team and a, and a very tough lineup with them. Well, again, a, a great manager and a great and a great uh, pitching staff. Well, you speak about the manager and the pitching staff. This team at the beginning of the season wasn't even you know looked at of making the playoffs. There may be a, a looking out, a looking in kind of thing uh, on the wild card spot. But this is a team that's really uh, put together some nice pieces up front with Tyler Naquin, uh, Francisco Lindor. Their pitching staff and bullpen has uh, been outstanding this season. I mean, when you look at their roster on paper, did you really think that they could have performed this well in order to make it this far? Because I believe this is the first time in, in, a, in a long time that uh, that the Indians have made it to the ALCS. Yeah, I mean, it's been a bit of a tough go um, for them of late. They don't have a big budget, like even a team uh, such as the Jays. But I think when you look at the kind of starting pitching that Cleveland had right from the beginning of the year, uh, they're missing two of those big pieces right now. As Carlos Carrasco and Danny Salazar yep. are are hurt and unavailable to the team uh, right now, so they're going to have to cobble together again. This is where you introduce the Josh Tomlin, or the, it looks like the Cleveland might go with a more of a bullpen uh, start in Game Four. So any team with that kind of pitching um, can can really make a lot of noise if everyone is healthy and and, and puts together the seasons that they have shown they're capable of doing. So. Again, uh, you, you, there was a lot of uh, you know a lot of pieces that sort of came together at the right time in the right place. But I think that I think that they were a team that a lot of people had their eye on this season, especially again coming back to the starting rotation. Well, I, I guess Drew, it's going to be fun. Finally, before we go, I want to ask you this: uh, Mark Shapiro, Ross Atkins against their former team is going to be a fun series. Yeah, there's a lot of extra stuff, a lot of things to talk about and write about around the series and on the on the off days. But uh, you know, you don't have to think back to I guess I think it was August, July. I think it was August when the Jays played an amazing three-game mm-hmm. series against against Cleveland there at uh, Progressive Field. So teams are well-matched, and they have that, that kind of exciting history between them. And it doesn't take much in uh, in October for, for that kind of excitement to build. Hey, Drew, look forward to seeing it. Uh, Jays are going to be in action this weekend against the Cleveland Indians starting a seven-game series. Appreciate your time and look forward to uh, hearing from you again. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. Enjoy. That was Drew Fairservice from the Birds All Day Blue Jays podcast. Follow him at Twitter or on Twitter at Drew Grofe. He talks about the Blue Jays and has a pretty big following. Uh, Very happy to have him on uh, today. But coming up next, we're going to be joined for our new Around the Diamonds segment. It is Opinionative Roundtable Baseball Talk with Brett Lufner and Michael Nellis. Coming up next on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Welcome back to the only baseball show in Ottawa. You're listening to Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9, Ottawa's new music. And starting off a new segment, it's called Baseball Roundtable with Mike Nellis and Brett Lufner as they are joining me in two different places. Brett is joining me from New Jersey. Mike is in the city of Ottawa, but it is uh, actually you're at TD Place, Mike. So there you go in the city. Um, yeah, just outside of it. Yeah, joining us over the phone. Uh, before we get into things, um, before I was talking with Drew Fairservice from the Birds All Day Blue Jays podcast, earlier in the show we had a chance to chat with uh, Billy Horn of the Arizona Fall League, and we also uh, talked in our first segment with Eric 
Stefan from uh, the True Blue LA uh, Dodgers blog. So now we're recapping the rest of the show with uh, two other guests, Mike and Brett. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Great to be here. Hey. Got the Can Am League, uh, the, the Can Am League roundtable going. Oh, well, what do you think yeah. of the? <laughs> what do you think of the show name? A little roundtable uh, talk. I uh, I introed, <laughs> I introed the show at the beginning that you guys were going to come on in the final segment uh, as a new opinionative based uh, segment. I said that Mike and Brett have the uh, are two of the most hard headed baseball guys I know, so it would be a good it would be a good segment. <laughs> I don't know about that, but hey. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about the segment part. I, I'm very hard-headed. I'll give you that. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. And I said, I said, listen, I know firsthand. There you go. So we're going to get right into things, of course. Uh, before, we talked about uh, the Dodgers and San Francisco Giants, Chicago Cubs, and Washington Nationals. That's That was the NL side of the playoffs. Um, it was it was almost like a, 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 a different series in the AL. Both teams in the AL had swept. We'll touch on that later, but it was the Dodgers uh, coming back from 2-1 to beat the Nationals, it was Clayton Kershaw coming out in the ninth with the with the Cubs and Giants. It was the Giants um, maybe doing a a, a four-peat, if you could say, because it's an even year, right? They have three championships in the last couple years. Um, and the last couple times, they came back from being down 2-0 from the Cubs, but when I, were unable to do it. And I was pretty upset about that. Brett, um, I mean, what did you think of the NL side of things? Well, I'll tell you what, the Dodgers ended up winning that one because Clayton Kershaw was gutsy enough to come out on essentially two days rest and take care of it in the ninth inning to pick up for for uh, Jansen. And so that was a, that was really, it was a hard-fought series all the way through. Uh, and now attrition's going to show its ugly head when they have to face the Cubs next in the, in the NLCS. Yeah, well, you know what, it's... It pretty much said, just uh, just said the whole thing there, Brett. And and, and you know what? It's uh, it's Clayton Kershaw. That's really what it is. I, I love the MLB playoffs because you get guys like Clayton Kershaw, the you know one of the best starters in the the National League, and of course all of Major League Baseball. He's going to come in late in a game to get the save in a clinching game of a playoff series. It really doesn't get any better than that. And I think you're going to see that as as you know teams get further into the playoffs, you're going to see guys play in these desperate kind of roles uh, in, uh, in in games that teams have to win. You see that in the wild card game as well. Um, of course, we know that for the, I, I mean, I'm talking AL here, but we know that Francisco Liriano was not supposed to throw mm. uh, uh, that day of the wild card game against the Orioles. And he came in and threw in the, in the extra inning frames, and he was probably going to go for four or five innings. So that's just an example of it. Clayton Kershaw is another, like you guys said, Mad bum. series. And uh, that's uh, that's basically the end of it. Now we've got a, a real classic uh, taking shape here between the Cubs and Dodgers, I think. Well, we, we spoke to Eric, or I spoke to Eric Stefan before. He said he was kind of upset about the matchup. He said he wanted to see uh, Dodgers and Giants, a little rivalry going on there. Yeah, and you know what? That's true. You've got the two California teams, and and two teams that really have that kind of um, that kind of history, especially the Giants lately. And I didn't expect the Giants to beat the Cubs, but I did think that they had the best chance of anybody to do it. If anybody's going to beat uh, the Chicago Cubs in uh, this in this entire playoff season, just because of the experience that they have, the ability that they have to come back in games. Uh, you know, that we have seen so far. Of course, we also saw the Cubs do that to the Giants uh, in this series a couple different times. 
Um, you know what? I think it's uh, I, I think it's going to be a good matchup regardless. Look, you've got the Dodgers and the Cubs. It's two teams that have been some of the biggest um, in the MLB for a very, very long time. The Cubs are in a place that we haven't seen them uh, in a long time as well. And I think it's going to be uh, there's going to be a lot of fanfare surrounding the series regardless. It's here's the thing with the Cubs. The, the part of it that we haven't seen them in is that of the favorite. And that's what they're going to be coming into this series as, is the favorite to go up against uh, the Dodgers, having been the only team in the league to win 100 games this year. So for, for that, it's very it's, it's an interesting place for the Cubs. I don't think they've won this many games since the 40s or something like that. I have to look at it again, though. But uh, the Cubs are very, they're very interesting in that they, they find a way. They, Joe Madden is an excellent manager. And he finds a way to get guys to contribute just how they need to. Timely hits, timely pitching. It's all really pieced together with the Cubs this year. Um, it would be a really good, feel-good story. Sorry, Dante. Mm. It would be an excellent feel-good story uh, if the Cubs ended up taking it all. Ah. I'm still shaken up after that Cubs win over the Giants. I mean, what had really happened? I just don't understand. I, I, I kind of want to delve into this a little bit, guys, and I want to hear both your takes on this because I was pretty upset. I was pretty rattled. It was the Cubs coming back and beating the Giants when they couldn't shut the door, and Matt Moore was uh, finished the eighth inning. He had been excellent all night. This is the Matt Moore that we saw with Tampa Bay just a couple years ago in the playoffs. Um, and he came in, did an excellent job, eight innings, and people are now saying, oh, you should have sent him out for the ninth. And now people are saying, oh, the, you know, uh, the Giants need a closer or put Mad Bum in there. Like, it was just, I, I, I just feel like if you use five relievers to try to get three outs, uh, I, don't, I don't really think mixing and matching is really going to work. I'll go, okay, the tough part about that is, is that you expected guys to be able to get the outs that they needed to get, and they didn't. It was just it was an unusual circumstance. I saw you bring Romo. If Romo's your closer, bring him in from the get-go in the ninth. They didn't. He ended up coming in and not being effective anyway. Any just any cub that came to the plate that inning in the ninth just hit the ball and hit the ball well. Yeah. So you know that's that's it happens. That's baseball, but unfortunately for the Giants, it happened at the exact wrong time. I think in this situation, especially for the Cubs, the ability that they had to, to kind of come back in that game. I think, you know, the, the only real doubts that people had about Chicago wasn't the, the depth of the roster or anything like that, obviously, because of the ability that they had in the regular season, like Brett said, to get a, over 100 wins and the only 100-win team in, in the league. So um, I think, you know, looking at it that way, um, the only way that they could theoretically falter is over the pressure and not being able to get it done, get the big hits in those times. Um, you know, for the Giants, like, you know, he said, it's just not being able to get out at the right time. And for the Cubs, it's capitalizing on those opportunities. You know, and it's very, very simple. And the fact that they did that, I think, really confirms that they are for real. And that I really don't think anybody's going to beat Chicago this year. I think if the Giants would have won that game, they would have won the whole series and they would have done the same thing. They would have taken down the Dodgers. They would have went to the World Series. They would have won it all. And I think that the Giants need to do some work in the offseason and find a closer. Because what they did, they walk Bryant, they go bring a lefty Javi Lopez veteran guy to face off against Rizzo, and then you know you bring in uh, Romo who allows the the, the base hit from uh, Ben Zobris after you know I mean, but it wasn't even that it was Romo leaving up a, a, a fastball up in the zone to Zobris when he's a when he's a, a sinker ball there. The bottom line is is the Giants they did that to the Cubs. I mean they got to Chapman in Game Three. 
Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it happens in baseball. Sometimes the guys you think are the most reliable are end up, end up being the ones that lose the game for you. Mariano Rivera lost the World Series, and yep. he's considered one of the greatest closers of all time. So mm. it's baseball. It's un- Again, for the Giants, it's unfortunate. I, I, I'll i stay to it. I, they should have gone Romo from the get-go in the ninth, but, they, but Bruce Bochy decided not to. I can't blame him for anything. He went matchup, matchup, and ended up coming back. It, it didn't work out for him. It's, it's, it happened. Some, sometimes you roll the dice, and it doesn't come up your way. Yeah, you guys are right. Um, so I want to move over to the AL side of things. Of course, Mike, uh, you watch the Blues Ace quite a bit. Uh, quite a bit. Brett, also yourself, uh, know baseball pretty well. So I think this is going to be a good topic to kind of uh, <laughs> delve into. Uh, Blue Jays are on a tear. Everybody thought at the end of the season, I remember, Mike, you were messaging me saying, oh, season's over, season's over. Uh, at the end when it was uh, the Tigers and then, you know, the Blue Jays came out and won two other games and then uh, came out and ended up winning the wildcard game and then swept the Texas Rangers. I mean, how are things going in Blue Jay land right now? Sweeping the Rangers, winning a wildcard game on a walk-off or two game, two big games on a walk-off. I think the big thing for the Blue Jays right now is this break, this two, three-day break that they have between the divisional and the championship series, are they going to be able to keep that momentum going? And I think it's a question of, you know what, in the end, they're going to have um, one of their best pitchers on the mound in Marco Estrada, if not the staff. I don't think he is, um, but we can get into that as well. Um, and, and you know what, I think in, the, in these situations for the Blue Jays now, they're hitting the ball, they're more confident. Look, this is a team that had top five offense in the league once again this year, but in September they were 30th in the MLB in offense. So being able to break through that and get back to the gear that they had before, I think is going to put them on the right track. It's really hard to, to talk about the playoffs and, and September in the same conversation because guys think differently. Teams think differently in the playoffs. It's a completely different game. So I really don't think that matters too much. And you're seeing these guys bring the best that they have. Guys like Josh Donaldson, Edwin Encarnacion, and Jose Bautista, they break out in the playoffs. And we're seeing that right now for the Blue Jays. They are a threat. I don't think they're World Series favorites now, uh, but they're definitely right in the midst of that conversation. Well, to, 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 to piggyback on that one, I don't know if Encarnacion's ball off of uh, Yabaldo Jimenez has landed yet. Because that was just an absolute bomb that he hit to, to walk it off against the Orioles. Um, but Mike, Mike's right. Uh, it, it's, you go through slumps. Every team goes through a slump. We've seen it at all levels of baseball. And the Blue Jays got through their slump, started to get on the uptick to get themselves into the playoffs. And now you're seeing it's like now they're coming back up on the upswing. And uh, it's a dangerous proposition with that offense. Oh, you're right about that. I mean, you look at what they had done not only last season, but at times during the regular season, their pitching got better with Jay Happ, Marco Estrado, Aaron Sanchez even, you know, even going back to Estrada's last start against Texas. But it seems like Texas got what came for them. You know, we'll use that little slogan that I had talked about with Drew in, our, in my last segment, uh, rather get punched out in, in May than get knocked out in October. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll tell you this. Uh, for the Blue Jays and for Rubén Odor and, and, and all the all the storylines that happened, I've got to take my hat off for both of these teams because they really did put all that behind them in the series, and they played baseball. And even after the, 
Jays eliminated the Texas Rangers on that error by Odor uh, in extra innings. You know what? He owned up to it, said that, you know what, the slide by Encarnacion into second was a good slide. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. These guys are just playing baseball, and uh, I really think that they put all that behind them and decided that, you know what, there's other things that are more important than settling scores right now. I'm glad they did it, too, because despite the sweep, it was one heck of a series. Competitive, close, hard-nosed, lots of timely plays both sides, and in the end, Odor just yanked the throw enough that it made it difficult, and the winning run came across the plate. It was just... It was entertaining. Unfortunately, only three, or fortunately if you're a Toronto fan. Um, entertaining, to say the least. And I really look forward to how this is going to go against Cleveland. Because mm-hmm. Cleveland, still to me, is just a wild card in this whole thing. Even though they're not the wild card. They're, they're just a wild card the whole way through this season. Well, you're right about that, Brett. But, I mean, that leads me to my next question to both of you before we go. Is, is uh, How does Toronto match up against its Cleveland team? I think they match up well um, just because of the offense and just because of the timing. I would rather play the Cleveland Indians as a Blue Jays fan than I would the Boston Red Sox, even though the Indians also just swept away the Boston Red Sox. That was also a series where the Indians were able to win it. But um, you know what? They just kind of came together down the stretch. This is two teams that are able to win games at big times, um, and they can both come to play. So I'm expecting a lot of tight, uh, ball games, which might not play into the Blue Jays' favor just because of, um, again, the bullpen and, and, and everything that you could see come into play. Is Benoit going to be healthy? Is Liriano going to be healthy coming out of the bullpen for Toronto? Um, so I, I think you're going to see that potentially come out and start to haunt the Blue Jays against an Indians team that, in my opinion, is better than Texas was in the first round. And, of course, that's why they're in this championship series. So, you know what? It's going to be tougher. I do have the Blue Jays winning it in a closer series. Wow. Now. Here, here's the, the, the thing about it. The Blue Jays took out, swept the Rangers. Blue Jays take on the Indians now. Both of those ballparks are very friendly to offense. Yes. Very friendly to power-hitting teams. And I think yep. because of that, I'm giving the edge to the Blue Jays. Hey, yeah, we know that there's going to be some some health issues. That, you know, our guys going to be ready to go out of the bullpen. But the bottom line is, is I think Toronto can outslug Cleveland, especially when you're playing in a place like, like well, it used to be Jacobs Field. Is it progressive now? Yeah. Um, yeah, you're gonna. I, I have the Blue Jays winning. It'll be close in terms of the score, but I don't think in terms of the uh, game score, the game line. I, I'm actually saying Toronto in five. Wow. Look at this. Predictions being thrown out there. Listen, that's what you got to do when you offer opinion. You got to chuck an opinion out there. I think all five of them will be close games. I have Toronto winning in five. And you know what? I think just because of that, you know what? All five games would be close games. Toronto winning it in five. You know what? You could get one game flip around, and then the series is turned around too, because that's baseball for you, right? Like, even though it's a five-game series with the Jays winning, the way that the baseball's played in the playoffs doesn't matter how many games the team wins a series in, because one swing of the bat can change everything. So yeah. I think that's important to remember that just because Toronto in five doesn't mean it's not going to be a tight series and a close series. Just like we said about Toronto and Texas, and of course uh, the Red Sox. And the uh, and the Indians last time around as well. 
Um, I've got Toronto in six games for this series, guys. What about the Dodgers and the Cubbies? <laughs> Cubs in five. Really? Look at this. Hey, before we go, Brett, the Dodgers and the Cubbies. Cubs, I'm going to reverse it on my Cubs in six, only because I think Kershaw is going to end up pitching. So he'll end up pitching a couple of the games. I think he'll probably be available for game two. And then he'll probably need to come in on three days rest and pitch game five. But I got I got Cubs in six. Well, there you have it. You've heard it from the two men, Mike Nellis and Brett Lufner. Thanks. Uh, th- hey, thanks, guys, for joining us. Appreciate it. It was all a lot of fun having you guys on, and uh, we uh, hope our, our predictions pan out. It's been great, guys. Dante, thanks for having me. Uh, it's been good here. Good to talk to Mike as well. And uh, now it's off to take my kids to dance lessons. Well, that does it. We thank Mike, Brett, Eric, Drew, and Billy Horn, all the guests that came on around the diamond. It was an absolute pleasure. We'll uh, wrap this one up. By next week, though, we will have two very special guests, Jonathan Malo, second baseman for the Quebec Capitals and former AAA prospect with the New York Mets will join us, and the man who scouted him and drafted him, Claude uh, from the head scout of the New York Mets, will join us next week to talk about not only... Uh, his days signing Eric Gagne, Jonathan Malo, but also uh, the signing of Tim Tebow because he's in the Mets organization. He's going to talk about that. That's next week on Around the Diamond. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow myself on Twitter, Diamond Don, uh, Diamond underscore Dante. You can check out past episodes on my SoundCloud, Diamond Dante Audio. You're listening to the October 15th edition of Around the Diamond. We'll see you next week.